All right, welcome back to Open Source Marketer. I'm your host, Charles McKeever, and today we're talking about how to customize interactions with your customers using social profile data. Joining us to explore the topic is Jamie Becklin, VP of Customer Success at JanRain. Jamie, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Jamie's an expert in today's topic. He's helped Fortune 1000 companies integrate social media technologies into their websites to improve their acquisition and engagement. He's worked with private entities, government, universities, and nonprofits, and he's also written for a variety of publications, including Mashable, Social Media Examiner, and iMedia Connection. So we're thrilled to have him here with us today on Open Source Marketer. Now, in addition to personalizing your user's experience, we're also going to touch on social media privacy, managing your brand's reputation without being creepy, and the end of online identity demographics. So before we dive into all of that, Jamie, tell us about JanRain. Uh, what does JanRain do? Sure. JanRain manages um, customer profiles for brands and websites. So uh, anytime you want to create an account, that could be a traditional username and password, or it could be using a social profile to manage the authentication. We're very concerned with making sure that a user is who they say they are. So that means they have to have control over a password or a social media account in order to be able to authenticate. And then uh, sharing and managing all of the data that comes back about that user and integrating it into the rest of the marketing technology stack. Okay, so you guys are the, the data providers to larger organizations then? I mean, you're, it sounds like you're kind of a central hub for that kind of thing. That's right. We really do act as a central uh, database or a central record for understanding all of those different aspects about who your customer is. So you have uh, interactions that happen on your website, you know, clickstream data, uh, sort of when they watch a video, when they interact with a certain piece of content, and we'd store and manage all of that data. You also have uh, social profile data, so the information that's on your Facebook profile or your Twitter profile, Google+, Plus, etc. Uh, each one of those has a different idea of who that user is and has different data. So whenever the user authenticates with any of those identities, we pull that data back also. And then you have the notion of sort of third-party data that you might want to integrate into your infrastructure also. So data assets around sort of what kind of car do they drive, how big their mortgage is, that kind of data. We can also store and manage that. And then, of course, we want to push it around to uh, everyone in the marketing technology infrastructure. So if you want to personalize emails, if you want to uh, change the content on your CMS, if you want to sort of create audience segmentation to use in offline channels, uh, all of that can be managed from within our platform. So then, as a as a business owner, I might be collecting information about my customer locally, but then I don't have the overall bigger picture about some of their other preferences that might be outside the context of our normal conversations with the customer. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. What we found is that uh, the notion of a customer identity or customer profile is something that almost every marketing uh, infrastructure component needs. So, of course. If you want to send somebody emails, you need a place to manage those email addresses. Um, and then if you want to serve custom content within a content marketing system, a content management system, you, know, you need a, a system for that. Each one of those has different requirements about what they need to know about the user. Um, and so the challenge is, how do you uh, get a consolidated view of who your customer is? Right? By using somebody like a JanRain, you're going to centralize all the data about your customer in one place and then share uh, different versions or different uh, portions of the profile with different systems. 
Now, how, how does that work uh, long term? So who, who owns the data in that situation? Is that something that that um, you know, I could get access to that information and then and build my own local profile over time? Or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, Janrain is uh, very much focused on supporting our customers to get to know their customers better. So that means, of course, we don't want to control or maintain any rights or privileges to your data. Your data is your data. Your customers are your customers. And I think that's a really important component, especially as you look at the marketing landscape where people are sort of renting you customers, right? You can go buy this customer every time you want to. You can come to our channel, you know, buy, buy access to that customer, and then, uh, and then talk to them. We think about it a little bit differently. We think that relationship with your brand or your website is going to be the most important uh, relationship to maintain. Obviously, that means that you can export, you can uh, feed that data into any other system where you want to use it. And we do have a lot of customers who use us in conjunction with the data warehouse, maybe a more back-end process that stores it more for long-term. But uh, we also find that you know, the service really becomes crucial when you're dealing with this on uh, online, real-time interaction landscape. So if you want to personalize content uh, on the next page turn, the next uh, page on the, on the website that the user visits, you really need that data to be accessible in real time or in near real time. So you know, that's why you know, having both of those aspects, having both of those options to store on the back end and also make it available on the front end is so important. Okay, so we, we talked about, uh, we said we, one of the things we were going to talk about was managing the brand's uh, you know, identity and things like that. But it seems like you have to get people to sign up for something before you can even start this process. So, so take me through the different phases of interaction. How does that, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, absolutely. If you think about it from a customer journey perspective, it's exactly what you're talking about the customer needs to go through a process to go from being an anonymous user to a known user. And there's a bunch of steps along that process. That means that over time, the user uh, is showing more trust in your brand. They want to learn more. They want to you know, increase their commitment, and they want to increase their investment in the relationship. Um, when we think about that journey that the customer goes through, this notion of what are they giving up and what are they getting at each step of the marketing process becomes so important, right? So there's certain moments that are sort of high value moments if you want to give access to a discount or an offer, if you want to um, provide an opportunity to join or participate in a campaign, a contest or promotion. Uh, if you want to gate an asset or resource that's very high value, you know, giving away a lot of information, then you can ask for, you know, a relatively robust amount of data in return for that. You know, maybe you want to ask for you know, not just their name and their email address, but you maybe you also want to know their location. Uh, maybe you want to know their social graph because you, you want to be able to share uh, with their friends and their contacts. So you want to look at the data assets that, um, that the user is going to be comfortable sharing for the particular asset or experience that they're participating in. And then what you want to do is map out a whole series of different interactions um, that increase in their depth and commitment um, over time so that you're asking for more and more data from different sources about that user to build that profile. You know, this is a little bit different than the way people think about um, uh, marketing campaigns now, right? A campaign is a very sort of focused or temporal thing. You know, you're going to do your summer campaign or your back-to-school campaign. And we see it very differently. We see that campaigns need to build off of each other so that you're having a conversation with your 
with your customer over time and you're getting to know them better and in getting to know them better it gives them more and more value I have seen that over time uh, clients have begun to warm up to this idea of being social you know a lot of people said they wanted to be in early on said they wanted to be in I want to be on in social media but I don't want to be social right I don't really don't want to interact with anybody but I want to somehow benefit from social media and it's kind of a, a weird uh, you know juxtaposition but uh, but they've war- warmed up to it and and now you, it seems like just what you said, people are trying to do campaigns, but those campaigns are these pockets or these islands where they want the people to pay attention at the time that they want them to pay attention. Uh, but they have no, that person has no reason to, to pay attention at that time. There's no ongoing conversation yeah. for them to be invested in. So it's interesting. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, I think the fact of the matter is that marketers are not in control anymore. And if they ever were in the first place, well, I mean, maybe there was a time, you know, when we all watched the Ed Sullivan show that, that a marketer really had a chance to drive a national dialogue or a national conversation to say, you know, when the audience is so concentrated, it becomes easy for the marketer to say, okay, well, they don't have anything better to do. They have to watch one of these three television channels, right? That's not the world we live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's so many competing uh, priorities for attention. And it's not just, you know, it's not digital versus digital, right? It's digital versus TV versus radio versus spending time with your kids versus your iPad and your, you know, your Amazon Fire and all of this. So in that increasingly fragmented landscape, um, attention goes where the most interesting or engaging opportunity is. And so I think you're right. I think that the, the, the initial thoughts um, from marketers were, okay, this is another channel. This is another channel where I get to have, uh, the, where I start to have a voice and I participate. Uh, but I get to control when this happens and what the level of dialogue is. Um, and what we're seeing now is that, you know, if you want to attract attention, you need to have something that fits in with the user's lifestyle, the, with the way the customer is thinking about you. Yeah, that makes a, it makes a lot of sense. And and I like what you said about matching the the value proposition whatever it is that you're offering to the ask so you know you're not asking that person for an inordinate amount of information if they if they're just going to you know register so so uh, I think that's a that's that along those lines of not being creepy you know <laughs> yeah exactly I mean this is it's such a key part of the of the privacy conversation right that's it's very top of mind right now uh, because people no, they, they, they understand that they're adding value into these, um, uh, into these um, channels, into these social channels. But what they um, don't have a good feeling of is what's available or what's public. What am I sharing with different brands? Is what I'm sharing with different brands the same or different? And what do my friends see about my interactions on some of these other websites when I use, this, uh, when I use my uh, social data? So it creates this, um, this discomfort uh, with, with users. And you know, it's just this notion of you know, sort of what data am I sharing with you? What are you going to do with that data? Why is it valuable? And why should I feel comfortable sharing it with you? It really gets down to some core issues of uh, trust in your, in your brand, in your website, and in your products um, that it, it really is dependent. And that's why you know, sometimes marketing, uh, people talk about marketing as a weak force. I think that marketing has incredible power and potential, but if people don't have 
trust or confidence in uh, in the product or in your brand, then you know you, there's no amount of marketing that's going to be able to overcome that, right? From a social perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Face, yeah, Facebook's going through a lot of that, having to figure out exactly where people's comfort zones are and how far they can go with sharing their private information, and you know what 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 is uh, what constitutes. Uh, frictionless sharing versus, you know, I don't want people to know that, uh, you know, it's, it's a very interesting topic. So yeah, a, a, along those lines, I saw that on the, the Jan Rain website that, that you guys have a, uh, login, uh, widget or, or, or offering where people can, can, can kind of register quickly for a service for a website. Um, how is that different than something like a Facebook login plugin for like a WordPress site? Yeah, sure. So Facebook login, uh, you know, this Facebook identity product um, has been around since about 2009. Um, and it was at that time where we really looked at this landscape and said, um, identity on the internet is a complicated um, proposition. And it's difficult for users to um, feel comfortable putting all of their identity eggs in one basket. So the reality is that, you know, for some brands, for some websites, a user might be comfortable using their Facebook account. For others, they may feel more comfortable with Google+. With others, they may be more comfortable with Twitter. What we said was, look, it's really important for developers and marketing teams to have an easy way to interact with all of these different identity providers. So, so that's what we uh, designed in our social login product, and it's what's really sort of um, different or broader than a, than a Facebook login. With Facebook, you're doing the technical integration for one identity provider. With JanRain, you're doing uh, the technical integration once, but you have access to over 30 different identity providers. So you get your Facebook, you know, uh, so that comes with it, but you have other options too. And that means that you can align with different customers, uh, what they're more comfortable with, and you also have uh, um, opportunities to gather uh, data from additional uh, identity providers too. And if you think about your own experience uh, using social media, you probably share different kinds of content and different parts of yourself on, say, a LinkedIn than you do on Facebook. So getting an understanding of that holistic customer perspective through multiple identities, I think, is, ends up being really important. Well, that's great. And so you guys then pull all that together on the backside so that regardless of how they log in, you can still track their, their profile and their preferences and things like that? Is that kind of what I'm understanding? Yeah, exactly. So, of course, from January's perspective, we want to have a unified view of the customer at all times. So we do provide account mapping functionality to map that same user's Facebook profile to their Twitter profile to the next and the next profile. Um, and and you know, that sort of comes out of the box from our perspective. The data is stored within a single customer record, but then you can always look at that specific view. Let's look at the Facebook-only data or the Twitter-only data. So you can see, you know, who is this user? How are they different in different places? Okay. And do you see more people using the social logins than over traditional registration forms, or how does that, how's that break down? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. You know, um, Social login is the answer to a user experience nightmare, which is a username and password. Um, what we've seen is that 96% of users, we've been running surveys for five years, um, that almost 100% of users have gotten uh, mistargeted information and communications because the data is not really good enough. Um, about 
percent of users would rather use a social login than create a new traditional uh, username and password. And about you know, if, if we did a kind of fun survey that looked at uh, how how loved are passwords, right? 40% of internet users would rather clean the toilet than create another password to remember. So it solves a real problem from the, from the user's perspective. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's probably about the last thing on my list. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it makes, uh, from a personal perspective, I tend to use uh, social logins just because all my information is already there and I can, you know, it's just... I, why should I have to fill all that stuff out again? It's kind of like going to the doctor. You know, they make you fill out the form, and then you have to fill out the form again. And you're like, well, I already filled out the form. Why do I need to do this twice? So uh, social logins definitely make a lot of sense. So let's talk. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about this this concept of, of, um, of online identity demographics. Okay. What, what, do, what does that mean? Yeah. So I think that we're... Um... The, the web is about 20 years old now, and I think what we've, uh, what we've learned, we went through a sort of a long phase, and you know, we're at the tail end of it, uh, where there was a really robust conversation about whether people should be able to be anonymous online. Um, and I think we're at the point now where we can see there's always going to be a place where people can be anonymous, and you can sort of go into the dark corners of the internet if you want to. Uh, but for the most part, you're going to have to be known in some way, shape, or form. And, um, and what you're seeing on top of that is this fragmentation. We talked about fragmentation in terms of media, right? You have a lot of different media channels that you can access. Um, what it does is it takes traditional marketing objectives around demographics and it adds this new um, overlay on top of it, which is all of your psychographic concerns. So demographics, you know, traditionally, if you could get zip, age, and gender, that was about as much targeting as you could do uh, from a marketing perspective, right? So you could, you know, you can buy your billboards, you can buy your TV ads, you can buy your radio spots with just those three data points alone. And you didn't need to know a lot about an individual person in order to get that kind of information or get that information aggregated. What we're moving to now is people in different parts of the buying cycle at different times and much more fragmented interests. So demographics aren't really enough. And I, I mean, I would even make the argument that demographics do a very poor job now of, of indicating what somebody's going to be interested in. And I'll take a really small example. Uh, I'm sure every one of, uh, of the people in the audience knows somebody who is not a sort of a Gen Y or not a millennial, but they have made a commitment to being a digital native, right? So if you're a digital native, it means that you want to experiment with new digital platforms. It means that you naturally can see a use case or some interest or excitement when you, when, when you download a new app. Those are things that you're doing not because you're forced to because of your job, but just because you know, that's who you are, right? You sort of embrace that. I would say that a digital native, uh, regardless of their age, has much more in common with each other than they do with somebody who just happens to be the same age or the same gender as them. And, and that's, this, that's this notion of interest, this notion of psychographics being so much more powerful than demographics. So what it does is, you know, people still think about demographics a lot, uh, but they're a relatively weak force, and they're getting weaker and weaker over time. Mm. And what's sort of rising in their place is this notion that if you can find people who share a like mind um, around a topic, around an interest, that's what's going to drive uh, conversation. That's what's going to drive engagement. And ultimately, that's what's going to drive customers. 
No, that's a that's a very good point. Yeah, because uh, knowing someone's age might tell you whether or not they have kids. It might tell you whether or not they have um, stability in their job or, or something like that. But it, it only goes so far. You're absolutely right. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, you know. When Facebook first came out and it had all this demographic information, all this, this um, maybe even farther than demographic information, it had all the all, all the preferences and all this other stuff. So, you know, that was I don't know, kind of a holy grail for marketers. You know, people being able to, to get down to ten people in Oklahoma who are interested in this one thing. You know, I mean, um, how does Janrain differ from like the Facebook demographics? Yeah. Yeah. So we actually take data from Facebook and store it uh, on behalf of the brand. Um, you know, one of the biggest differences is that uh, Facebook is great if you want to access an audience that's within the Facebook platform. Um, and, you know, people spend some time on Facebook, right? They usually spend about an hour a day on Facebook. That means that they're interacting with the media for another eight or nine hours of the day that's not on Facebook. And when you think more broadly about how do I connect with this customer every, everywhere that I might want to talk with them, it really means that you want the data um, to live within your own infrastructure. That doesn't mean that you don't use those Facebook tools, but you use them for a specific purpose at a specific time in the customer journey. Um, and you know, for, for us, what we want to do is integrate that, those same data assets um, into you know, something uh, you know, that allows you to communicate with them you know, very presently, like when they're when they're on your own website, um, and that's not something that typically people are um, segmenting. You know, within their own uh, within their own website, but it's really actually not that difficult to take, you know, one message and version it into you know four or six messages, and then continue on building more and more personalized content over time. So it really becomes a way to have that Facebook style experience or Facebook level of personalization uh, across all of your digital touch points. Okay, so that's a that's a very great that's a great point to uh, transition to this conversation about. You mentioned a moment ago about fragmentation, multiple properties, you know, multiple websites, things like that. How is mobile uh, factored into all of this? Because now we're we we are on our tablets, we are on our our phones and our our desktop computers and things like that. So how, how does that factor across? I mean, are are people? How is mobile being used to engage customers? I guess is my question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think from uh, what I've been hearing since about 2010 is, you know, this is the year of mobile, 2011, this is the year of mobile. And now it feels like in 14, it feels like uh, mobile came and smacked a bunch of marketers upside the head, right? I mean, all of a sudden, you know, you sort of hit that tipping point around smartphone adoption and penetration, crossing 50% uh, of the the, uh, cell phone audience. And all of a sudden, everybody has the browser in their pocket, and they're interacting on mobile. So, you know, we see customers. We don't. I don't think we have a customer where less than 20% of their of their website traffic is from mobile. Mm-hmm. And some of them, it's like 70, 80%. Wow. And then you have, you know, this mobile first or mobile only kind of perspective, where you have a bunch of apps and innovation happening there, where they don't even have a website at all. So, it's really fundamentally changed the way that people think about um, computing and and being connected. It was interesting, um, I was talking to somebody from Google the other day, and they said that when you think about um, why why mobile is so important and why it's so useful, um, it really comes from this very fundamental concept about people, that everything is better when it's portable. 
I mean, everything that you could possibly do, you know, food is better when it's portable and you can throw a granola bar in your backpack and have it anytime you want. I mean, everything, just everything that people interact with is better when it's portable. And mobile is just the latest case there, right? So it, it, it's a natural uh, progression for all of our users. We're going to have to deal with it. It causes some big challenges uh, when it comes to identity and knowing your customer because we've built this infrastructure over 15 years that's based on cookies. And cookies are tied to a device. So you have this cookie that gets dropped on your, on your device, and then it follows you around as you look at the internet and look at you know, your own properties. And then the cookie is the thing that approximates, you know, well, this is you know, Charles or this is Jamie. Uh, as soon as you move to another device, they drop a new cookie and you start from zero. And you, know, you don't even have the ability in all the mobile devices to drop cookies. So, you know, this is where you hear in the landscape people saying that the cookie is dead or that cookies are dying. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about it's just not that useful anymore. So you have to look at a different way to connect that user's identity across multiple devices. There's a few different options. I mean, you could look at device fingerprinting and those kinds of things. What we've seen when we've looked at those technologies is that they really only have about a 40 to 60 percent match rate. So, I mean, it's like a coin toss. Are you going to really trust that this is a, the user that you think they are when, you know, 50% of the time they're going to be wrong? Really the only way to do that is through looking at a login, a login where somebody is connecting their one single identity to the desktop through the browser and then also secondarily through the, through the uh, tablet or through the phone. So, you know, you use login as that way to connect that user across uh, multiple devices. And all of a sudden, you're back to, you're actually much further accelerated because you have not only that identity, but then you have all the data to be able to push and pull into different places. Okay, so it's really interesting. When you start doing that, what you find is that the customer journey that you thought that you had is very different from the customer journey that your users actually go through, right? So you have this idea mapped out in your head. Oh, they're going to find me on, um, you know, they're going to come to my website and then they're going to download my app and then, you know, they're going to you know, buy something on the app and then they're going to look at it in their email or something like that. What we're seeing is that the, the user journey is actually really, really different from that, right? Instead, you're finding it through social, in your phone through an email that gets pushed to you, so you go do the app download directly. The first experience is mobile, then they might get pushed to your website later. It causes you to rethink the whole way that you think about sort of how that customer gets to know you. It's really, really powerful. That's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and it makes complete sense what you said about, uh, you know, mobile being personal. It, it, our mobile experience, our mobile devices are very personal. You know, like, like you said, like a granola bar. I never thought of it in that way, but it's, you know, it is very personal. And uh, we spend so much time with it uh, that it just makes sense to want to bring that into the conversation and track people across all those different devices. So it's amazing stuff. So Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's um, it's really interesting, especially you know on the heels of uh, some of the Apple announcements from WWDC yesterday with the iOS um, 8 announcements, and that's sort of building on some of the functionality you see in the Android uh, platform, right? So a big push on these mobile devices is if you use your social identity or your device identity to to log into a website, then you could push them your mobile app directly without having them sign in again, right? Your Google identity is tied to the Android so they can push you an over there install, right? So if part of your strategy is to you know, do push notifications from a mobile device, then you need to have that app installed, 
right? So if you can get that app installed, it's been a big barrier. How do you discover apps if you've been in the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store and try to find a new, interesting, exciting app? Like it's almost impossible, right? right. So you really need better delivery mechanism for those apps. And this over-the-air install uh, through social login um, is a, it's a huge value add. So if you're a marketer that's trying to you know push that uh, more adoption of your mobile apps, this is a huge area to investigate. Yeah, absolutely. I know that there's a lot of uh, iOS developers in the Austin area who are very excited by those announcements and you know looking at that for marketing purposes for sure. So, well, all right, Jenny, thank you for uh, for the for spending some time with us and talking about this uh, this topic. I think that we've got a good idea of what Janrain can do and what we should be thinking about in the space of marketing to people across multiple platforms using multiple devices and creating a customized experience for them so that we can have a conversation and not just have these pocketed silos of campaigns where we want people to pay attention when we want them to. And, and uh, we can actually have a much better response if we can have a conversation with them that's ongoing. So, so thank you for that. I really appreciate it. How can someone in the audience get started if they, if they want to? What's the first thing that they should do? Yeah, the first thing that you should do is um, take a look at the data assets that are available. Um, and we actually have a tool that can help you do that on our website. It's uh, the Janrain Social Profile Navigator. So you can go there and you can log in and you can actually see the assets that might be available from within your own platform. Um, and then think about how you would use that data if you had access to it. If you knew who that user was and what data you had access to, uh, what would you change in your own experience? Yeah, I was, I, I, okay, there you go. Do go check out janrain.com. Uh, They've got great uh, videos over there, case studies, white papers. Uh, I was really impressed by how much information you guys had on the website. It was really easy to kind of navigate and figure out what exactly the conversation was and where I should be focusing on things. And uh, so definitely go check out janrain.com. And also, uh, while you're there, while you're online, remember to go and subscribe to uh, Open Source Marketer and rate the podcast on YouTube and iTunes or wherever you listen. And uh, Jamie, thank you again for being here. And thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to seeing you all guys next time. Thank you.